Reclaiming Identity, sharing stories of struggle, pride, and redemption in reconnecting with our heritage. Hi, I'm Dora. And I'm Dahlia. And we're bringing you Reclaiming Identity as part of the ASF Institute of Jewish Experience. Do you feel a part of the Jewish story? Is your family what pops up when people think of Jews? At Reclaiming Identity, we celebrate and explore the greater Jewish experience. We encourage you to tell your story and take pride in your heritage as it is a part of your identity. Listen to other people's stories, ask questions, be curious, and reclaim your identity. So I'm really excited to be here with both of you and to hear your stories. I'd like for each of you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit of background of where you're from, where you grew up. So I'm Gabriela, Gabriela Vigio Dahan. I was born in the United States, in upstate New York, Schenectady, New York. And at the age of nine, uh, me and my family moved to Cleveland, Ohio. We were there for two years, and from there we made Aliyah. Um, so my mother is Israeli and my father is American. That's why, you know, I guess for them, they always knew that we would make Aliyah. <laughs> and today we live in Jerusalem. So I'm Avian. Dahan, uh, grew up in Gibadzev. My father was uh, born in Israel, Jerusalem, um, Moroccan originally. He grew up in Musaa, in the neighborhood of Jerusalem. My mother was born in Tunisia, and by the age of um, one month, they moved to Marseille in France. And she made Aliyah from there uh, at the end of the 80s. We're going to go off of that. Can you tell us a little bit more about where your family, where your father's family is from, and maybe your mother, how long they've been living in? in Tunisia and why they went, went through France and then... Okay. I, I would have to say I've been picking up on these things only recently. I did not know it for a long time or didn't knew I knew it for a long time. Uh, my father, my mother, my grandmother was born in, um, was born in Ousta in Morocco, which is right on the, on the border of uh, um, Algeria and Morocco. And my grandfather, apparently, I heard just recently, Grew up in the Atlas Mountains, and then they moved to Algeria, and he got married off. And they, they married uh, pretty early on. My grandmother was married, I think, at the age of 15, 16. Um, so that was my grandmother. They moved to Israel at the end of the 50s, to Amal Becham. First Omel, and then until now, she really, she really regrets not staying in Omel, because now it's a very <laughs> nice place, and then we moved to Becham. And my grandfather worked there for a while while they moved to Jerusalem. Uh, and they grew up in Musala ever since. My father has eight siblings in total. Every one of them very, very different these days. Uh, particularly with their like, uh, heritage and Moroccan identity. Most of them married off Ashkenazi, come to think of it. And my mother was born in Tunisia. Her family. Um, my grandmother's family were like merchants, they had a, good, a very big store there, and, and my grandfather was a watchmaker, um, and when they moved to, and I would say that would be 62 when they moved to France, uh, it was around, if I'm not mistaken, it was just like, it just felt unsafe anymore in Tunisia, and France was like the, the, the more easy thing to do, and they left it and then moved to France. Uh, Were there a lot of people from Tunisia? A lot of yeah, people from Tunisia? 
it's, it's, it's a big migration. I think most of them even moved to, to France and to Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, I don't think, besides Job, I don't think there's many Jews in, Tunis, in Tunisia to begin with. Yeah, a lot of their family actually now is uh, assimilated. Uh, most of them married off non-Jewish. I mean, they have a connection, but most of them uh, are not are married non-Jews. In France? In France. I mean, my like my mother's cousins, not, mm-hmm. not like her uncles. If I could just ask, you said um, that you only found out about it recently. Was that because they didn't tell you the stories or you forgot about it? I'm, I'm sure that it was told. Uh, for a while, and my grandmother, she passed away uh, two years ago almost, and I think then we started we started asking more. Um, we knew some of the stories, like my grandmother, she was a child while while like the Nazis invaded Tunisia, and there was a, like uh, like there the famous story is like when they bombed their school while while being in it. Uh, so like that's one story I remember, like a few stories of them. In Tunisia, they had like a villa on the on the beach and they like and stuff like that, but not like a complete story, especially not my grandfather's side. I don't think I know much about his story to begin with. Uh, the fly in Tunisia, and in the past to a year, um, I've been studying. Uh, we've been in a program to become shlichim uh, to go on Jewish uh, communities, and part of the program, uh, it's like a shalosamir program. It's called Maharaba. We're studying about how to be a shaliyah for Sephardic, Sephardic communities. Very interesting program, I must say, if you find being a shaliyah, it's very, very interesting. And suddenly I've been hearing a lot of things about like uh, Sephardic halakha, Sephardic thinking, and I, it got me back to ask about my family. Like to the point that I started looking for my grandfather's grave, and I was like, I've never known that's his, that his parents' name when I see it on the matzevah. And apparently Ujda was a place that was a massacre, and I suddenly asked my grandmother, I was like, yes, of course it was a massacre. I was like, oh, good to know. <laughs> so I asked a lot of things, and I think it's, uh, it made me sink in this time, even if it was a story that passed, passed above me for the past uh, 30-something years. There's a lot more to go off of that, but before we get there, I want to ask uh, Gabriela about your family. How did they end up in uh, upstate New York, and uh, where, where did your parents grow up, and... Your grandparents. So my grandparents, I'll start with them, on my mother's side are uh, Yemenites. They were born in Yemen, and they made Aliyah. They immigrated to Israel in on the Operation Magic Carpet in 1948, 49. Where in Yemen are they from? Uh, from outside of Tzana, and my that's my grandmother, and my grandfather is from Amman, <clears throat> and he carried the name, the family name, Amohani. Mm-hmm. Um, so they made Aliyah to Israel as, you know, like, uh, I guess teenagers. I think my grandmother was uh, around 10 or 11 years old. And my grandfather would have been 12, 13 years old. And, um, you know, they had kids and, uh, my, my grandmother gave birth to eight children. And, uh, one of them was my mother. And, uh, my mother, <clears throat> growing up, she had, uh, it was a difficult, complex life. She was born in Rehovot and grew up in Tel Aviv. And um, she has all kinds of interesting memories of growing up. The, the daughter of uh, Yemenites, immigrants who had to become acclimated into Israeli society and learn all of these things. Uh, growing up, my grandfather would buy like huge sacks from sacks of wheat from the shuk. And, you know, there would be days where there would be like tons of food, you know, they didn't, they had to be creative and all the different things you can make from wheat. <laughs> and other days where, you know, there wasn't as much uh, food as home. 
and um, and also like my my mother's uh, sister passed away also because of like a misdiagnosis and um, that really had an effect on the family she mm -hmm. was one of the oldest siblings how old was she 14 no she was um, she was about to be enlisted into the army she was doing Naha okay. yeah my mother was doing the Naha program at the time when she was in the kibbutz but her sister who was I think 14 years old passed away mm -hmm. and uh, my mother there being the second the second oldest child she felt it was really her responsibility so she left the program she didn't end up going into the army she just stayed with the family uh, you know to help to support and to work a bit to help her mother and her younger siblings and I think you know a couple of years passed and and she felt that she she needed to do something different um, she had been studying uh, uh, to be a teacher so in the middle of her teaching degree she was offered the chance to find a chance but you know, she saw that a family was going to the United States to be, um, you know, to like on a sabbatical year, and they needed an au pair, an Israeli au pair, mm -hmm. and uh, with her teaching degree and kind of like a chance to kind of, uh, you know, get out of Israel and to take a break for, she thought it would be like a year, and <laughs> ended up being uh, a longer time than that. Um, she went with them to uh, Ithaca, where the family like the father of the family was teaching at Cornell University. Oh, okay. So that's how she ended up in the United States. <laughs> and uh, and she met my father there, who was a student studying at Cornell in Israeli folk dancing. That's how they met, right? <laughs> the, I just find it, you know, funny that uh, they met in Israeli folk dancing <laughs> class. And my father's story is that, um, let's start from my grandparents again. My grandparents on, from my father's side are from, uh, well, they are from uh, of Syrian descent. <clears throat> my grandfather was born in uh, Haiti after his parents had moved from Syria to Haiti, trying to get to, you know, like, quote unquote, the new world. Right? They were trying to get to the United States. As the Ottoman Empire was deteriorating, many Syrians and Lebanese, not just Jews, but um, Syrians and Lebanese in general, moved from there to the the United States to you know, North and South America. I guess following the business like trade routes mm -hmm. and and once they were there also they kind of uh, not everyone was allowed into the, the United States so my grandfather's family they ended up staying in Haiti for a couple of years until they were able to enter through Ellis Island and someone from the United States had to send them Recommendation. Yeah, like a recommendation or uh, to prove that they were family and I guess that they had support. That once they would enter the United States that someone would be able to support them and to provide them with like a job so that they wouldn't, you know, fall upon like the the government and like be, um, what's the word for like the, all, you know, be like a, a, burden. a burden upon the American government. This is so like the early 1900s? When is this? I think 1910, 11, 12. And so someone from my grandfather's family, you know, like got them the official, you know, approval, permission to, to get in. And then they moved from Haiti to the United States. Although there's actually some, some still BGO family members in Haiti. Um, and a couple of years ago, they actually helped the Israeli field hospital set up. It was like set up 
on their you know property or something wow. where there was the earthquake in Haiti. Wow. I think this must have been like 10, 15 years ago. And there was they're part of a community. There's a Jewish community in Haiti. That... Not really. I, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't call it a community now. Just mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> families here. Yeah, I'm I'm not even sure. They probably haven't like assimilated into Haitian society, but but I'm not sure. You know how connected they are anymore. Again, we aren't in touch, but I think it's like very. We we just saw the name Vigio, and mm-hmm. we're like it's it's such a it's not a common name, so there must be some connection there. And my grandmother was born in Guatemala, but she is also of Syrian descent from Aleppo. Oh, that's true. There are two like big Jewish communities in Syria, one in Aleppo. I think that's like the bigger Jewish community and one in Damascus. And, and it's very important for them, you know, this, this Syrian Aleppo uh, you know, identity from Aleppo or, or Damascus and, uh, and Syrian identity in general, like the, the Jewish customs from there. And so when um, you know, my grandfather, uh, you know, years later when he was serving in uh, World War II, his, his buddy, like in the same department, who was also Syrian, you know, they were young men and looking, you know, to get married soon. So he set him, him up with his cousin from Guatemala, who is, you know, she had to be Syrian, of course. <laughs> and and uh, they wrote letters. I find it so romantic now. They wrote letters back and forth and eventually sent pictures of one another, which, like, it was hard to, you know, to develop pictures and develop them. I don't even remember, like, the word that they used for developing pictures then. And, uh, you know, we saw the pictures of them as, like, you know, young twenty-something-year-olds uh, of my Saba and Safda, my uh, grandmother and grandfather, that they had sent to one another. And after the war, they ended up uh, getting married and settling in. I think first in Maryland, and then in New York, where they both had extended family. And that's where my father was born. We grew up in Brooklyn. They, the family, actually spent a couple of years in Colombia because of the business. Say business. Yeah. My grandfather started to started a business in Colombia, which didn't work out. So they came back to the United States, and yeah, later on my father went to study at Cornell. That's how my parents met. Among all those places, they pick up the <laughs> languages also. Like, do they speak all? Actually, yes, it's very cool. My grandmother knew. So also in my grandmother's childhood, she was sent off to Egypt for a couple of years. My great grandparents apparently had some kind of like. Machloket, let's call it. Some kind of like uh, dispute. Dispute, you know, but like I think uh, the mother-in-law was kind of like hovering or like interfering into the young couple's marriage, and my great-grandmother thought it was it was too much, so she took the child. She took my grandmother. She just picked up the daughter, and they left to her cousins in in Paris. I think like in Egypt, they stopped off in Paris. She left the daughter in Egypt. And so that's how my mother, sorry, my grandmother uh, picked up Arabic as well as French. French was like the, you know, spoken language, cultural language of the time. Mm-hmm. Plus my grandmother went to uh, the Kiach school, the like Allianz school in Egypt. And then a couple of years later, she sent back to her family and discovers she has another like two siblings. <laughs> Wow. So, um, my grandmother knew five languages. Wow. Yeah. She spoke them pretty well, too. And did she pass them on to your father? Unfortunately, not. Like my father knows a bit of Spanish. You know, English was the spoken language. 
Oh, and my grandmother also gave uh, private lessons in English. Mm. Yeah. And which that's how she used her language skills wow. teaching others. Through all those journeys, did they uh, have special traditions that they kept with them? Uh, would you say it was important for them to marry Halabim, but they, did they keep a lot of Halabi traditions? Good question. I would say more in the food as opposed to mm. more traditional things. You know, for in the um, like the Jewish prayers and tefillah, it was important for them to go to the Syrian shul and to have the, I would say like the melodies that they grew up with. Mm-hmm. I'll say my father, like my grandfather, the melodies and certain prayers that my grandfather did. Right. And uh, even today, my you know my father, when he goes to his Moroccan shul, it's because it reminds him of the Syrian uh, prayers, but, you know, in, in terms of like where, where my parents live. How, how did your family traditions with other Yemenite uh, Jews around you, how, how did you feel with, in relation to the community around you, the school you went to? So my nuclear family ended up, uh, like I said, growing up in Schenectady, where there are hardly any Jews, and if there are Jews, they're Ashkenazi. Mm-hmm. And they're old. Yeah, yeah. it was like um, an older community. And so let's just say we were like the token Sephardi family. Mm-hmm. I remember on my, my father would do the, uh, one of the, I can't remember it now, but one of like the Sephardi songs was like the Sif Sulim, like the voice. Thank you, that So me, Pierre, my father would do for like the rest of Ashkenazi with like the proper Sif Sulim. Like the... Yeah, we've tried to find the proper word for that, but I don't <laughs> think it has yeah. uh, a translation in English. And um, like a lot of foods, um, you know, like pita. And my mom actually would go specifically to like one of the Arab stores in Schenectady, probably like the only Arab store in downtown Schenectady to get like her special spices and mm-hmm. her pizza and the things that she likes to cook with. But besides like prayer and, and food, I don't think there were any any specific things. I think it was more growing growing up as a family and you know traditions that we discovered that we asked them like are there certain things like surrounding the Brit Milan that, that are like important enough to you that you know that you want us to do? But I think our parents gave us like uh, you know freedom to discover other traditions as well. And plus, in every community that we were in, whether it's Connecticut or Cleveland or coming to Israel, we discovered so many beautiful things and incorporated that into like our Erev Shabbat, you know, like before we're doing Shabbat, uh, you know, having Shabbat dinner. So we would, you know, add like uh, more songs that you picked up from the community around you, right? Which was mostly Ashkenazi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Until today, you pray Ashkenazi also. That's true. Yeah, that's what I grew up with, and I guess what comes uh, most naturally for me. Yeah. The Yemenite prays Ashkenazi. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've I've been there. <laughs> um, so maybe if you could tell us a little bit about how you grew up and maybe some of the traditions that your family had, if they kept certain traditions that were um, distinct. And Gilad Zev, I mean, you grew up in an Israeli society, it's already very mixed, mm-hmm. but um, I think up until the age of like 10 or 12, we did not, we were not as observant. I mean, to, uh, today I'm Chazal but like, then we're like, I think we just, 
didn't like fire on Shabbat. That I think that would be like our thing. We would go to 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 show on Chagim. And at some point, my dad I think brought me in for like during like I said to him like brought me to show, and I remember. Trying to laugh, I thought it was funny to ask him why do people are. I wonder what are the, why do they wrap themselves up like mummies putting on tefillin. <laughs> and I, apparently, for my dad, it was like a warning sign that something goes wrong. So like they really tried to, he really tried to pull back the ship, and then we stopped going to, we stopped driving on Shabbat. We went to start and, and wanted us to go to Shul every Shabbat. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was the Moroccan Shul. The the songs were really Moroccan. I remember back then still being very anti biblical like it was pushed onto it. While asking the questions, why are we doing this? The response was because grandfather did. I did not accept that, and I still don't accept that as like a response. Um, um, but back then it was, I think, I don't remember it like really being an issue. Uh, there was from everything, from everywhere, Masha, an Israeli school with everyone from everywhere. I don't think I felt anything adati like. Saying God, oh, you're Moroccan, you're Ashkenazi. Besides the categorizing, but I didn't feel any uh, anything in particular pro or against uh, what I grew up in. My grandmother is very, very much Moroccan up to this day. Like a lot of Moroccan phrases, a lot of Moroccan foods, a lot of Moroccan uh, philosophy of life and how to deal with things. But like, um, and it's something I pick up mostly from observing. I don't think I felt it like on myself for a long time. And my Tunisian side is mostly French. That's the way I feel. But I think besides the foods, the 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 way to act, so the, the way you treat you treat schoolwork. Uh, like my grandmother ended up being an English professor, and my mother is a scholar. It's, there's a lot of uh, a lot of emphasis on that, but like it's very very European education more than Tunisian, from what I would recall. And do you speak French? I speak French. Because because my mother spoke French to me, and it was important for her to instill it in her kids. But we're six siblings, and I'm the oldest, so at some point we just outgrew the number of French-speaking people in the house. Uh -huh. So my mother pretty much gave up. My siblings, my younger siblings, they know they don't speak as well. But like the the older three knows. They know we like me and my brother and sister. We know French. We can speak it. We feel comfortable with it. The rest, they understand, they can hear that that was like the main way to to, to speak to my Safa al So, um, but at some point, they, they taught her Hebrew. <laughs> it didn't go opposite ways. Even in Tunisia, though, the, like the, 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 the spoken language was French. Was French. They, yeah. they studied Alliance, it was very, very European feeling. I mean, I don't know. My mother only recently got back to her roots and studying in Morocco, and she, she sings, so a lot of like. Arabic, um, Arabic music, and she like she just even had her own show that she she brought up like uh, the the way of how to mix uh, French and Arabic songs. So that was something that I think she really got pulled into years later. Regarding to how I grew up, and I think that was I, I never felt like I'm Moroccan, and that's like something that identifies me besides saying that and like. Uh, things. I mean, today I still laugh about like the family. We when we do mimuna, I remember one time my brother brought my, my grandmother brought sushi. That that was our mimuna because uh, I, I think she stopped when my grandfather passed away, which was before I was born. So like it was important to have mimuna, but it wasn't you, necessarily. You symbolize it, and there are things to do. Like when uh, when the new baby comes in and like he has his first tooth, you you make sphinx. Uh, yeah, it, like the, it, it usually revolves revolves around food, but and there are things coming around with it. But like, 
I think that would be like we would be considered conservative around our around our community or around our friends. I grew up in the Scouts, so like even so even not lighting fire was like religious. <laughs> that that was like the feeling that I I was brought into. Just because I was going to show, I was considered like knowing more, but like I didn't feel myself religious in any way. Mm-hmm. So I guess when when you two met, if we could talk about like you had different experiences because you grew up in the states and you grew up in Israel, it sounds a little bit more like your connection to the religious traditions and to how things uh, um, connect to your your family's stories because you gave a very elaborate uh, a story of how your family moved around and you didn't mention like Aviel that I didn't know about it until recently so I'd, I'd like to hear more about like uh, how, how you guys discussed your heritage or like now that you have kids how you look at it moving forward would you think that we are trying to like I don't know if I'm trying to think of my kids are like even trying to to count the way they're like they they're where they came from it's like four it becomes too much uh-huh. today you say yeah we're Moroccan Tunisian you know mm-hmm. like Moroccan Tunisian to Yemen and Khalabi I think that and mostly Israelis so it sounds a bit too complex I don't think that's something that I define myself these days is like that's what I want to instill with them I would like to say that uh, the the way that our families are trying to to maintain like a family unit. And that's something that I would really want to keep, to keep more than like Dafka the Masoet because as I said, going back to Dafka the Masoet, my surrounding me was the Yeshivot, the Ashkenazi Yeshivot. Like I know my uh, like my music from Bet Abba and I know them, but like I like Kabri Bach the same way. So uh, to, to me it's like, how, how, how do I feel at home within my family? How do I relate to that? Yeah, that is part of my heritage, but like, how do I keep the connection with my siblings? How do I grow up and, and do good? I don't think that's specifically something that I would say, you're Moroccan, you need to do this. That's that I think that's what pushed me away when I grew up. Mm-hmm. I think even looking at it from, you know, taking a step back, even before we go into our specific adult and like from like which Jewish communities we descend from as Jews, you know, that's that's important as well like because i grew up um like in a very very small jewish community in in that like my you know catholic neighbors would invite me over for certain things and my my parents gave me that that education of saying like you know okay you know no problem you can have catholic friends but you know just so you know like we don't do this on shabbat Mm -hmm. or you can't have that um ice cream because it's not kosher and then like I you know as a child I experienced my my father speaking to the the candy man saying does this have gelatin and you know explaining what kosher means and like going into details and you know so even that like that it was like such a strong base for me of what Judaism means to me and then you know going further or, or going deeper into what type of Judaism and like for me, for example, it's um, I find a lot a lot of meaning into I find a lot of meaning in where my family came from, and that is like part of my Judaism. Uh, whereas I think you're you know so then you're you you're taken aback from you know, being having told like no this is tradition and this is what should be done. And for me, I I hold a lot of value to tradition, even though I might. With my own decisions, you know, as we discover or are exposed to other types of Judaism. I wonder if it's 
connected though to where you each grew up. I, I was about to say that too. I mean, it's it's. I mean, from us understanding like the the Jewish world, like Israelis a lot coming going going away from Israel, what they're maintaining is yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't need to prove my Judaism. I'm Jew. Right. I grew up in a Jewish country. I I know what it's like. I don't need to start working on it. And as opposed to everyone from from other countries, like you need to fight for your Judaism. Right, right. And it's, and it's not a given. And as soon as you put that, like, okay, so I'm Jewish. There's nothing I'm gonna talk about that. But like, what is my, uh, what, what do I feel comfortable within my surroundings? Uh, mm-hmm. Do I do I want to go with in, in the footsteps of my parents? Maybe. I just growing up, it wasn't the first thing, but I think it was a, a lot of adolescence, uh, and I, I really appreciate it these days. And I think. As a Chazal B'Chuvayim first, I was very against Masultiyut because I didn't understand why no one explains to you why you do things. Today, I have a lot of appreciation to it. I just, I found out a lot of other Masultiyut, a lot of other traditions. And it's a part of me. It's a part of who I am, but like, where are we going now to Shul? We're not going somewhere off in Shul. I mean, Afuq, it's, it's, it's long. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's something that you feel comfortable with what your surrounding is. And, and you're being able to choose and form it. So I think that's a lot of, it's a big difference of how we see these things. I think it's important for us to know who we are and, <clears throat> and where our families came from. And, uh, and, and you know, to, like, to go to a Moroccan show every once in a while and, and to remind ourselves of what our parents and grandparents grew up upon. And, and like what we do you know, in our day-to-day lives can be different. I, I think like in general, our generation, you know, I wouldn't call it a mishmash, but it would, you know, it'd be just, uh, you know, take the beautiful things. A fusion. It sounds better than a mishmash. Well, that's what, the, there's a big discussion about whether it's a melting pot or a, right. or a fruit salad and, like, um, whether it all kind of becomes one, like, flat thing or if it's, like, the different colors that you see. Um, like yeah, you can see, like, each, each um, community's uniqueness. Right. Yeah. Within that. Uh, Even if your father's Moroccan, Shulton, Zichon, Yaakov. Like I feel they're off tune because they're singing to something your Moroccan? To, to, to how I grew up. <laughs> and I was like, but that's this, almost the same thing. But like, they're not singing. <laughs> so at what point do you say like, no, 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 this is I, how we do I'll it. I'll never say because I think that's exactly how it, like, I mean, these are the things that make me want to resent it because so stuff had to be just the way you want, like you, you grew up in, just the way how they did it in Casablanca. That, that pushed me away a lot. So today I'll never say it. Um, I might sing it to myself too, it's like just because I like it, but it would never say that's like that's wrong. No, you have to sing it that way, the way we sang it 50 years ago. That's something I don't feel comfortable with. Now, now that you you talked about a lot about the, uh, the the prayers, but like are there things that in your in your home that you do there? Uh, wouldn't say like okay, now I'm gonna make a Moroccan dish, but like are there certain foods that you're like I have to have this because this is what I grew up with or. Or there's certain things like you were talking about, I believe me, there are things like that that you have incorporated into your into your lives that like into your everyday lives or into your, like specific special occasions. I think in special occasions it was funny because both of us we did. I mean, one was I think some of not ignorance but not knowing what was important for like our families to happen, and I think the fact that we made a china mm-hmm. for both of us didn't mean much. It was like yeah, it's nice, but like to, it's too much of a hassle, and for. Your family and it's really heavy. Like it's, <laughs> it's not. And, that's we, and yeah, like before our wedding, we had to like try to convince them that we don't want to do it, but we're doing it for them. Especially your parents. Mine was mine were a bit more fluid about it. But like, 
Uh, we well, like, a Yemenite, a female, a little different than a Moroccan. So, so we did both. So we, oh, we yeah, yeah, we, wow. we brought like two different sets of clothes and like, and both it was both Mufleta and like uh, Yemenite stuff. Uh -huh. So we did it. It was nice. It was fun to, to respect our grandparents. <laughs> Was it like sort of along the lines of what you were saying of like we do it because our grandparents do it and that's why you um, feel connected or maybe because you didn't know like the meaning behind it like or after you did it did you feel a connection uh, to it or you still have the same opinion? It was a fine event, but like it was not, and to me she suffered with it. <laughs> uh, I think had I learned about it more, like had my mother or grandmother sat down with me and if we had gone over the songs together and if they had explained the meaning behind it then it would have been easier for me to to accept and I accepted it you know I would have accepted it one way or another but I did it like only only you know to honor my grandmother was waiting to see me under you know under the chuppah like under the big flower headdress um, and like the, I mean, I think a lot of things as we go to the circle of life, suddenly like my our grandparents or our parents would say, how about doing a Britishak? Like, so before the Brit Milah, to have like a night reading parts of the Zohar and stuff like that. So it's, it's stuff that like, um, I don't think, again, not growing with it, I did not know it was something you do and never been discussed in the house. So I, like, I, I would never know about it before it was something that, yes, we need to do it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we did it a lot of respect more than understanding. I did read about it, but like, it was something that was brought up so late after our son was born, and you had to do it within seven days. That that's not the first thing you read about. <laughs> um, it is it is a nice occasion. It is a nice event. But like in general, I really believe you need to know these things. To you need to have the reasoning. And a lot of the a lot of the time when things are being passed on, you just say no. We we need to do it. And the need to do it, I guess that's something that triggers me again. That is like, I, you need to do it. This is what is done. Mm -hmm. This is what is done. Uh, yeah, it triggers me to go back to like my adolescent years. Like, I'm not doing just because you want me to do it. Mm -hmm. And I remember there was a discussion with my dad about like, why do I need to do this? Why is it important to you? And he didn't have my, his answers, so I had to read up on Google. Unfortunately, it was something that I wish I would learn more because I think it's a beautiful thing, but. It's not part of my identity. It's stuff that Moroccans do. So maybe for older generations, it's like a given, but like for our generation, even if we want to be connected to our heritage, we just kind of have to like give it a new meaning or try to understand it in, in our world. I had similar thoughts about, um, I asked my grandmother, like, what do um, mothers who were recently given birth do? Like, what is that, uh, what, did, what used to happen in Yemen regarding um, giving birth? So she explained that uh, the mother and child are attended to in their home by the women of the community. And it's kind of similar to, you know, how like communities here, you know, they bring you food every day and your friends and family, like it takes a village to raise a, a child, right? Um, and at the end of the month, like, or after a month passes, or, or at least the first time that the woman who gave birth leaves the house, all the women of the village would come like sing songs to her. Even if it was just like to leave the house, go to the street and come back, right? Because women like didn't walk around alone. And <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but that like leaving the house or I guess like recuperating enough to leave the house, you know, was like a mini celebration. And I think that's beautiful. And I, I kind of want to 
incorporate that into our simchat abat. You know, there's a question that we. Uh, which is another discussion. Like, is it something that's religion, that's a tradition for us? How do we do it? What's being done? And, and like the new meaning that we'll put into that old Yemenite tradition and, you know, um, reinventing it in like modern terms. Regarding that, for example, Simchat Abbas, the tradition I'm studying in Ma'araba, apparently there was a, like, uh, we started with a, a rabbi that, that said that he's trying to uh, re- like, reintroduce a tradition that used to be also during the Gwara time. That in a simchat bat, you would you can when a, when a boy was born, you would plant a bosh. I have no idea what it's called in English, but it's a tree, a type of tree. And when a girl was born, you would plant a eves or something like that. Uh, that's a cedar. Okay. And and when he used to come to simchat bat, he used to give a cedar and explain that because when basically at, when these kids are being married, you take off the you take you chop off those trees and build the chupa with. Ah, wow. Uh, and that's something that's really sweet. Like, and also saying we're rejuvenating things that came back from the, the Gemara time, mm-hmm. which is interesting. I'm like, I've never heard of it before. Yeah. So I came up to her. That's so cool. And she's like, yeah, that's that's nice. It's an interesting <laughs> story. <laughs> I don't know if I'll do it. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking, like, how would we know which tree it is? <laughs> so, like, we would have to remember, <laughs> like, tw- 20, 30 years later to go back to that same tree. <laughs> Right, you have to remember to build the chapa. (laughs) But it's also, that's also part of like, we're in a different world now. It's not like we're living in the same house in the same village for for 50 years. Like, we're moving around apartments in Jerusalem. Like, it's it's a very different uh, situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, how do we do it? Reserved for Adam's (laughs) chapa. Definitely. So, yeah, so I think all those traditions are really interesting and in how you guys are talking about them also. So maybe, I guess because you have, the, like, the American setting and the, the Israeli setting to compare, but also, I'd like, to hear, like, growing up in Israel, uh, about, like, the, like, the Jewish story that you heard, um, the Jewish history, what was, what was discussed post, like, let's say, Galut uh, Babel, Babylonian expulsion, like, was the Jewish history more... Holocaust based, or was there talk about uh, the Mizrahi Jewish experience uh, throughout? I must say, up until this day, you know, it's, uh, I grew up in non religious schools, and Tanakh is still hard for me because that's the connotation I grew up with. I don't think I've learned, I'm try, trying to think what I've learned in history, and it's, it's mostly my English, you know, the, the Holocaust and, 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 and further on, mm-hmm. not like. And I mean, you, you wouldn't hear much about it. And also, if it was, I mean, it's it's not always like your Jewish story. It's a part of history lesson. Um, and I don't think I've learned a lot about Mizrahi Judaism. Like even yeah. Holocaust, you said, you, um, the, the like the Holocaust came to Tunisia and how. We I would not have known about it if I didn't have family there. Mm-hmm. Like I, like it's not something you would hear studying, and definitely not talking. This is your heritage. As you said, like sort of the. This, People don't necessarily discuss like, okay, this is how Moroccans do things, or this is how Tunisians do things. But uh, when you're in class and and you're like learning about Jewish history, and you're like, okay, wait a second, I'm Jewish and I'm from my family's from Tunisia, and then like, where does my family's story fit into that? I don't think I have these questions. You didn't have these. No, I think it, I think it's something you just had to go through. Everyone learns it. Like it's not. It wasn't a discussion. Even. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that was that was the Shoah. That was that, and no, we didn't have Shoah. Yeah, it was something mm-hmm. I could do with 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it was something that it, it took us a while to understand, you know, and to understand that we, we do have a part in it. I don't think I ever felt guilt not having family in the job office yet, yeah, but like, uh, it's something that is, I mean, even going, like, uh, talking about going to the Masada Polin and like going to the, the Machanot Ashmada, I don't know how to say it in English, but like, all these things, like, like I, I didn't feel like it was part of me. It was a, a trip that I thought I would like to go. And I'm really happy I didn't go because I ended up going only as a soldier uh, to the to these things much later. And much it's not like I felt connected trying to go up and uh, and say the names of my uh, of my family there. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think, but there were Tunisian Jews going all the, getting all the way to Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. I didn't know, I had no idea about it until very recently. Again. So I think there's a difference also in what I learned in school as opposed to like the. Like what I saw on the ground, I guess. Like in school, I don't think like Spanish and Mizrahi jewelry histories appears almost at all. Perhaps today is different, but I also grew up in Zichon Yaakov, which has like at least in the early years when I when I made Aliyah, uh, I learned a lot about um, like Jew, you know Mizrahi Jewish history through where I grew up in. In Zichon, both Romanians and Yemenites um, founded the the, Mosh- the Moshava, mm-hmm. founded the town. And when we made Aliyah, they were celebrating 120 years to the, the for the establishment of Zichon. Mm-hmm. And they definitely put a place, like both for Romanians, which they were the majority, as well as Yemenites. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I got exposed to, you know, the more Yemenite story of like Aliyah Tamal and. And then, you know, later on, and from also talking to, to my family, to friends' families, and I also went to uh, like middle school and high school in Tardis Khana, so kind of like broke the Zichon bubble in <laughs> Zichon. It's mostly, well, there's a sizable like Moroccan, like Mizrahi community, but just, I guess, like among our community or friends, it was a majority uh, Ashkenazi, and not like everyone is of a, a different like socioeconomic level and uh, in Cardis Hana it's more diverse uh, way more Mizrahi than Sephardi actually and just like being exposed to real people's stories something that we didn't necessarily learn as like the historical trajectory in the classroom mm-hmm. um, it was something that I you know, was exposed to and I discovered to you know one on one early on too I mean, early on. Yeah, relatively early on. And also, like, what you mentioned about your uh, trip to Poland, for me, was totally different. In high school, I felt like even though, um, like, my heritage doesn't stem from Ashkenazi Jewry, or, like, and none of my family, Baruch Hashem, was affected by the Holocaust, but still I felt like I was part of a larger Jewish story that affected me, like that, you know, and I like took it personally too. Like as a Jew, you know, I my family would have been uh, targeted, and you know, could have been in the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember if my family was talking about like their time coming to Israel, Babawot and stuff like that. You know, that's for a lot of people is oh, actually their their trauma story of the family. Mm-hmm. I've never experienced it that way, and it was also again wasn't talked about for a long time. Things I told you now. I've learned recently, I would say, the last 10 years. And like my grandma, my grandma would say, yeah, it was very hard for us and stuff like that. But like 
it's not nothing that you would say you know, like like you see in movies now. You know, you get on a bus and you you get to Dimona and no one asks you how to get there. Mm -hmm. It's not something that's rooted in my in how I remember like getting to Israel. Again, my family, my father grew up in Jerusalem, and I think for him he has a very profound understanding that there's something that is that the fact that he's Moroccan and grew up there is something that very really affects him up, to, up until this day, like for uh, equality of rights and stuff like that, and that could be like stemming from the Black Panthers that he grew up seeing them as, as a younger kid, but and it's nothing. I mean, none of these things were talked about. So like when my dad is talking about these things, I don't understand where he's coming from. I don't understand why he sees it like as the fact that the fact that we're Moroccan has anything to do with how we want to progress in our lives. And I see it a lot as it's a lot of a part of our discussions coming coming up like saying that we have less opportunities. I I've never experienced it in, in the opposite. I feel like now I I have the privilege to try to give opportunities to my siblings to my family. And it's never something that stopped me. And so maybe in some way I'm pretty happy I wasn't talked about, so it would, it would be part of my identity. Because I do feel that coming here like melting pots out of fruit salad, I don't think no one's really at the bottom unless you want to fight to, to go up and, and, and succeed in whatever you're doing. It's a discussion we're having up until this day that I, like my understanding, no, no psychological understanding from it, but like something very deep stemmed there, understanding that he feels that there's something bigger than Ashkenazi, where it's still like pushing their own agenda and stuff like that, and I don't see it. I don't know where he's coming from. It, it's interesting that you say that, because I think a lot with a lot of uh, trauma in, in the family, also with the Holocaust, like grandparents, great-grandparents didn't speak about it. Um, like you said about the Ma'abarot, also my grandparents until recently, maybe because only now we asked, but they didn't talk about their journey from Yemen. So a lot of like the the first, second, third generations, like they found out about it either now or they found out about it through school. So let's say um, my mother, before her, her, her grandfather spoke about the Holocaust, she learned about it in school. So she did have context sort of to like what he was fighting against or why they were acting in a certain way. And Mizrahi Jews like don't necessarily have that context because they didn't learn it in school. That's how I see it. It's like, I didn't know necessarily that my grandparents went through some sort of trauma coming to Israel or in Israel until like recently because I asked the questions or because my father decided to share some things all of a sudden. But uh, I feel like Ashkenazim have a sort of context uh, because because it's taught and, and Mizrahim or Sfardim don't have that context because it's not taught. And so either way, no one's like the, the family members aren't talking about it or weren't talking about it. What are the sort of things that you're learning now as part of that process of like uh, being Shlichim in those communities? First of all, I, I would say that about even just for like the the record, like the the program that we're in, it's like a shlichim training program that is trains rabbis, teachers, and communal communal shlichim like us that do not fit both <laughs> categories. <laughs> um, uh, basically, to prep for like how to be a better shaliach as a family, either from learning halachot regarding Jews from abroad, uh, from giul, tahara, kashrut, stuff like that, and even basic things of how to lead a community, how to work in social media, how to, like, the men have rhetoric lessons and stuff like that. The women are, have less time, unfortunately, and Gabriela's not happy about it. <laughs> one, of the, one of the programs talking about, like, Sephardic Judaism is 
to me, even more for prepping for there is starting to understand my heritage, mm-hmm. which was very, very strong. Uh, Rabbi Michael Ben Edmond, who's leading it, is, is doing it in a very, very graceful way to try to bring us into the process, to wait, to, to study the, the, the scriptures of Rav Nassas, where I had no idea who he was before, mm-hmm. and suddenly hear a whole different set of like, how do you look at halakha, what, what brings you into this halakha, what is the context of history that brings him to say, this is what needs to be done, and just, this is what I'm going to leave soak for this to happen. And I'm assuming a lot of people don't know who that is, so if you guys... Before, uh, I wouldn't even know as much as the fact that he was like uh, a very, very big rabbi in Morocco mm-hmm. uh, in the early, the half of the 20th century, and came into Israel, so very, very, very influential uh, in halakha, in scriptures, and something that I, I mean, I, like the fact I didn't know about it to begin with, mm-hmm. made me, I mean, a lot of things that we talk about, that halakha, could be more lenient, you know, more, more yeah. yeah, as like the things that he said, like the, the, the fact that electricity on Shabbat, like there was like a lot of things that he, like it was very groundbreaking to say that you can do or not do, and uh, uh, a lot of understanding how, like, how do you, Bring in the person and not just like the, the dry halakha to do these things. Mm-hmm. And, and you learn it a lot from the Ashot, not just because it's like Sefer Halakha and like what's the philosophy, the philosophy behind it, which right. is really cool. I liked it a lot. And saying that right now, going into the process of talking to to communities, like if we have like four communities right now that we're talking to, only one of them is actual Sephardic community. Very much resembles the, the synagogue I grew up in, more than like an abroad school, an abroad synagogue, and it's something that I think I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel as comfortable saying, yeah, that's something I could do potentially if I didn't go through this program. Because even though I, you're from, even though I'm from, I didn't feel like yeah. I grew up in it. I didn't feel mm-hmm. like I, I mean, I grew up in it knowing the 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 titles, mm-hmm. not like what is behind it, what what brings generations to to keep it. Um, so that's something that's definitely that was helpful in that way. But most of them are, I think, Ashkenazi Jews from Europe, from the United States, Canada. There's things that I, I don't know. I mean, I would feel comfortable doing because I know the context and I've been working with American Jewry for a while. And I think when you have also Israeli in the communities, that's something that you can give extra. Mm-hmm. That you can try to and, and connect to these people. Oh, this is your last name. I know a rabbi from Tunisia that was also like this. Mm-hmm. Could it be like your heritage? And, and that's something that, that I think would be helpful in that matter. I think in, in general, the, the cool thing about sending Israeli shikhim to communities abroad is that Israelis are so diverse. And the organizations who send them know that they have to be representing Israeli society like as a whole. And so it's you know, it's really cool seeing Ethiopian shikhim or you know, Yemenite shikhim, like bringing the Mizrahi shlichim to mostly Ashkenazi communities. And, and that also means that, you know, us as shlichim, we have to know who we are and who our heritage is so that we can represent that to, to other communities. What would you tell future generations about, uh, or generations today, people who are looking for their identity, who they are, what they are, uh, or if they're looking to connect to their heritage in some way. Talk to your grandparents. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then record them and film them. And then do lectures about Yemeni Jewry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's one. And then I think um, it's important to back it up with um, with you know books and you know read articles. 
it's like you said, you know, you can learn about it about high, you know, through high school, but it wasn't, you know, a prominent story in your family. So that has to come together. I was able to understand the greater context that my grandmother experienced. And also, you know, we have to take into account each person has their own experience. They may not see like the full picture of like the whole Operation Magic Carpet, right? right? They remember the journey or like having to shush the children. Talking about the Chatzilat Yamsuf, that what you see is the sweaty back of the Right, 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 right. That's a good example. Right. Um, and when you read, when you read like, uh, I read some like academic literature, when you also read other personal stories, then you start piecing together the picture. Mm-hmm. And you're able to understand where your family came from, um, what, what Judaism could mean there, why traditions developed the way they did. So, but definitely start with the grandparents. Yeah. I think I, that's the most important. I would approach the grandparents, saying like, if there's things that you feel like you are a major in your in your uh, identity, make sure your kids know about it. And it's not like, yes, it's something that happened. You can there's a picture somewhere like when we came out here, when we made it here, uh, and and like just just uh, these these days we are lacking kind of focus and. If you just try to find like one thing interesting that reminds you of that, like I don't know, I heard, I read an article, I saw it on TV. Call your grandchildren, call, call, call your your son, say, do you did you know that this is also part of us? Mm-hmm. And if I did not have what I learned like the past year, I would have never known to ask about things to to, to my grandparents. And now I don't have the Tunisian side to ask anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and I wish I'd know more. But like in general, like if there's something that is a part of you and you and you want something else to know about it, just like echo it somehow. We have like this weird, like not weird, I mean, not weird. we're the only one in the Moroccan show who does it, that during Anna de Koch we stand. Mm-hmm. During uh, Shabbat. I have no idea when I'm doing this. No idea whatsoever. I'm still doing it until this day, regardless of my father. That's something that I'm doing, and like only later on I realize how it's like a very, very strong uh, mismo and a very Kabbalistic mismo and a very high thing that like that you say that like today I feel very connected to it. Mm-hmm. But like I don't know why I'm doing it. But, uh, but these are things like, I, I guess something stuck, like, and I, I, I don't think my dad knows to ask. He said, yeah, my, my like, our grandfather, who was like a great rabbi in Ashdod, did, did that too. That's, that's definitely really important also. Um, not just ask questions, but bring it forward to the next generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you. Thank you both. It was a really interesting conversation, and it's really interesting to see people grow up in different settings, but with a lot of uh, complexity to their identity and to their heritage. Thank you for listening. Reclaiming Identity is produced and edited by Moshe Singer and executive produced by Dalia Arusi and Drora Arusi. Our theme music is by Vanessa Paloma. Be sure to check her out on Spotify. Be a part of the reclamation. Subscribe to the Reclaiming Identity podcast on our website, instituteofjewishexperience.org, on our Facebook page, Spotify, or Apple Music. Follow our programs on our website and the Institute of Jewish Experience channel on YouTube. And please help support these and other ASF Institute of Jewish Experience efforts by donating today.